Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. You ready for church? Come on now. Uh, I missed you, Mission Church. I love, I love this church. I love what God's doing in it. Uh, we're in a series titled This Is Our God, and I'm loving it. We're in the book of Ruth today. Come on now. Another book down. I don't know how many more to go. 50. I don't know. There's a lot of books in the Bible. We're going all the way through Genesis to Revelation. If you're new to church, we're just going through the, the whole Bible, showing the beauty of God, the goodness of God. Every, you know what I love about the, the Bible? You don't have to read the Gospels to see the Gospel message. You don't have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see the goodness of God, how, he, how the gospel invades the worst places and still redeems the best, uh, the best things. And so um, I, I want you to see today in the story, Ruth, uh, just the goodness of God. I, I'm going to break about Jesus today. Does that sound good? Yeah. Time of message is the friend that never leaves. It's that friend that says, I'm just staying for a couple days and then ends up living at your house for the rest of the ever. <laughs> that kind of friend. But it's the friend you don't want to leave also. It's a good thing. Now, you need to know something. Before Sam and Frodo from Lord of the Rings... Before Shrek and Donkey, okay? Shrek! Shrek! That's my best uh, donkey impression. It's pretty bad. Uh, uh, before, uh, what's another one I got? I got a bunch of them. Uh, before uh, Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan, okay? Come on now. Before um, uh, Clay and Steph, come on now. Before the Slash Brothers, all right? Uh, before Shaq and Kobe, that's for Joe. I didn't want to say it, but that was for Joe. Before Andy and Red from Shawshank Redemption, throwback to a great movie. Come on now. Before them. Before Batman and Robin, peanut butter and jelly, there was Ruth and Naomi. Oh, they were the dynamic duo before everybody else. Even David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi are first. The, the story of Ruth really is this, the importance of people in your life. That friendships will play a pivotal role in your life. Now, you, you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You see all these stories, Red Seas are splitting. We, read, uh, we did Judges a few weeks ago, and Judges, you see, you know, army of 300 conquering thousands. So you see Gideon's army. You see all these miracles of Samson. The story of Ruth, there ain't no Red Sea splitting. There's no Gideon's army. There's, no, there's none of that. There's simply this. God working with people to redeem you and redeem me. God using people to do um, supernatural things through their natural being. And it's an amazing book. All of us could relate to Ruth. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen a Red Sea split yet. Um, I'm ready for it. Um, uh, sometimes when I'm alone, I'll like take a little thing. I'll go, Lord, now, and it doesn't happen in my pool. But one day it will, maybe. Uh, anybody ever try to walk on water? Me either. Just checking. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, the story of Ruth. Uh, it's four chapters, 88 verses. It's uh, just packed full of just people being good to each other. Now you need to know something about the story of Ruth. It is in one of the worst times ever in biblical history. It takes time in the uh, book of Judges, and if you know the rhythm of the book of Judges, it is the people did what was unpleasing in the sight of the Lord. Women, uh, women were being raped. People were being killed. The book of Judges was the worst time ever in the biblical history, but in the middle of that, you find this beautiful story of Ruth because in the midst of darkness, if you just have a group of people be good to each other, you can start to see the gospel come to fruition and good things come. Woo, that's a good story, yes? Okay, so let me give you a couple things just so you know. Uh, the book of Ruth starts with a famine, but it ends with family. Come on now. It starts with nothingness, but it ends with abundance, okay? Uh, what else does it start with? It starts with a funeral, but it ends with a wedding. There's something about this book. I, I don't know about you, but whatever season you're in, uh, if you have experienced nothingness or you're going to go through nothingness, you need the book of Ruth. Because the reality is, is nothingness is not your promise. 
uh, that famine is not your promise. This is not what God has intended when he died on the cross and conquered the grave. That is not what he wants for your life. I, I love what uh, John Piper says. He goes, taken as a whole, the story of Ruth is one of those signs. It was written to give us encouragement and hope that all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They do not lead off a cliff. In all the setbacks of our lives as believers, God is plotting for our joy. Another way I could say it is it uh, shows off God's providence. Providence is simply this, is God using the natural to have forth come his supernatural. That God would use the mundane of life to actually get you to the promises and desires of your heart. Man, I want that. I want that for my life. Are you ready to see the goodness of God? Are you ready to see three people just act really, really good in the midst of darkness all around them? We bow your heads. God, we thank you that you're the friend that never leaves. We thank you that you're the one that's committed to our joy more than we are. You're committed to our peace more than we are. You're committed to our sanctification and salvation more than we are. God, you're committed to the Bay Area way more than we are. Oh, God, we thank you that you're that kind of God. We love you. We love you. And everybody said? Amen. So I'm going to talk about a lot of people. So part one is this. Everyone needs a Naomi. All right? So the stars of this book, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Okay? And uh, as I uh, unpack it, you'll see why they're the three stars, okay? So um, if you know anything about this uh, story, uh, I'll give you some context. I'm not going to be able to read all 88 uh, verses, but I'm going to try to give you as much as I can. Is uh, Naomi and her son, uh, husband, Elimelech, uh, left with their sons, left God's land, they were Israelites, and went to Moab, which has the Moabites. Now, Moabites uh, worshipped anything and everything but God. Uh, they suppressed Israelites. Uh, they should have never left the homeland. But they did anyways. They didn't pray about it. They sold their land and then went somewhere else and lost everything. They lost everything. I'll show you what they lost. Ready? Then Elimelech died. So Naomi lost her husband. Naomi was left with her two sons. Then the two sons married a Moabite woman. One married a woman named Orpah and the other woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons uh, and without her husband. So just to set you the picture real quick, in this cultural time, uh, the only way that you could advance in life is if you had a husband or some sons. If you were a woman in this time, it was a bad culture. Women could not uh, succeed on their own in this time, whatever, 1,000 B.C. So it just wasn't possible. So when the sons died and the husband died, everybody was dipped. This would be one of those moments in life that nobody's prepared for. It'd be like when you get a call from a doctor or you get something mailed in the mail, some kind of pinks up at work. It's just that day you're never been prepared for. You ever um, show up to school and not prepared for a test? Anybody? You know that feeling? It's just the worst feeling. So actually, I didn't mind it. I, never, I was never stressed out. I have a pretty good memory. I'd show up to math. I'd show up to English. I'd just sit down and everybody would be like cranking at lunchtime, looking over the flashcards. and like, Tyler, I'm going to say, I'm like, no, I'm good. I just like, eat my food. And now the reason why I was good is I was okay with getting bees. Don't judge me. I wasn't really passionate about being a mathematician, okay? Um, I didn't find my, define my achieving by being the smartest math kid. Um, so forgive me, but I was cool with a B. Not if you're a kid in the class, though, hey, aim for excellence. Anyways, okay. So um, uh, I'm not, I wasn't even saved yet, to be honest. Probably why. So I'd show up, and my memory was pretty good, and I'd take the test, and I'd be done. But I remember turning 16 years old. I showed up unprepared for my driver's ed a written test. Wow, it's not that big a deal. It's not life or death. No, you didn't. What happened? I failed, okay? It's $30 to take the test. I failed. And so my dad said, what happened? I said, you only lose, you miss five questions, 25. I missed five into like 12 questions. It was like, do you turn your wheels left or right? How far from a fire extinguisher? I don't know. And so I missed it. So I remember my dad gave me another $30. And we weren't rich. We were kind of poor at the time. I go take the test for a second time. I get 20 questions, but bang, Fail. And so I love, I, love the, I love the reactions right now. So then the third test I take, I fail again. Yes. So 
Fourth test comes around and my dad tells me, hey, we spent $90 for you to fail driver's ed tests. We're not rich. I'm gonna give you 30 more dollars and then I'm never giving you money again to take the driver's ed test. You won't be able to drive. And that's when I was like, so I remember getting the driver's ed book and reading. I was like, okay, wow, okay. That, you, you're always supposed to turn right, not left against the curb. My bad. You know, all these things. Oh, school bus, you don't pass with the red flashing light. That's new, good to know. Okay, okay. All right. Oh, the speed limit's not a suggestion. It's a real rule. I mean, all these kind of things. So I remember studying it going, and I aced the test. And I remember going, whew. And as I got older, the more important the test, the more prepared I wanted to be. And so when Rachel and I got engaged, the test of marriage was before me. And so I wanted to be prepared for the test of marriage. So we're doing all the pre-marriage counseling, prepared and enriched. We're taking the five love language tests. Remember the five love language tests? Come on. So, so I, I took all the tests. We aced the tests. I found out Rachel's love language uh, was uh, physical um, uh, touch. She loved. She's a cuddler. And then um, uh, the other one would be uh, words of affirmation. The other three, she don't care about. And so we married 10 years. And the reality is, if I could just tell you, all these tests that you get prepared for, they're not going to help you in the long run. You need more than tests for marriage. I'm married 10 years. Here's my marriage advice. Ready? If you're a young man in marriage and your wife just took the five love language test and she says, all I have is um, uh, gifts and words of affirmation, you're going to need more than a test. You're going to need people in your life saying, that's not true, son. But she said, that's the test. I know. Trust me. I've been married for, for 10 years. Guess what her love languages are? What are they? All five. I guarantee you. If you give her a hug and give her gifts, but you never tell her she's pretty, you're going to fail her in 10 years. You'd be like, but I took the test. I prepared. You said you didn't like words of affirmation. No, no, no. You need real people in your life giving you real coaching in real time, letting you know the test will never, ever perfectly prepare you. And what the book of Ruth shows us is that there is this moment in life where they taste famine, complete famine, complete failure. There's no little book. There's no little thing that's going to help them. They need a person to walk them through it. You need people. You need a friend to tell you when you're being stupid. You need a friend to tell you where to go sometimes. You need a friend to tell you how to get redeemed. You need a friend to tell you, hey, I'm not leaving. You may be quitting, but I'm not quitting. Let me show you what happens in Ruth 1. Everyone needs Naomi. So Ruth 1 says, Then Naomi heard in Moab the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they uh, took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Ooh, lead them back to Judah. It's interesting. You see this famine is what moves them, but blessing is what enticed them. Let me tell you real quick. They tasted famine. Don't be mad at famine. Don't be mad if you have a famine in your marriage that brought you back to church. Don't be mad if you have a famine in your job. Famine, God will use you to move you back to Judah. What does Judah represent? It's where Jesus was birthed. It's Bethlehem. It's the house of God. It's where God is. It will bring you back. The, the, the church should be a place that entices people by blessing. Yeah. Famine has always been a part of my life. I've had famine in relationships. I've had famine in jobs. I had famine in my family. And I remember the thing that enticed me to church was not the songs which I liked. They didn't have worship like us, though, Lisa. This is a whole nother level, okay? Um, uh, they didn't, the message didn't attract me. Not messages like this, okay? Um, can I say it? I did. I did. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a terrible sermon person. I'm a terrible preacher. Um, better? Okay, good. Okay, so anyways, the reason why I was enticed by church is the people that went there, they had a different life that I wanted. Their marriages were different. 
Their kids were different. Their life, they they had a different bounce in their step. May you be the person that attracts somebody back to Judah. May the way that you live your life, when somebody's in famine, may they say, I want to go wherever you're going. Because I heard there's something that you have that I don't have. The church should not be a place where people have to be dragged to. It should be a place they're enticed to. Okay? And so so Naomi and uh, Ruth and the daughter, they're enticed to go back to God's homeland. Oh, what a, what a powerful picture. Now, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mothers and homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you and the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. And they said, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far better for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now, Naomi is a little off here. God did not raise his fist against her. The reality is, is that she left when she wasn't supposed to leave, tasted the consequence, and she's coming home now. But the thing that she has correct is she's dipped. She is a widow in this culture, and there is no hope for her in this culture. Culture. Now, Ruth and Orpah are young enough to go marry somebody else and have hope again in their homeland. She goes, if you come, if Moabites come back to Israel, they're going to hate you. They're going to, they might even kill you because Moabites were famous for oppressing Israelites. Moabites worshiped anything and everything but God. So she's saying, hey, you don't, I love you guys. Oh, I love you so much. I celebrate you being with me. Go be blessed. What an amazing selfless thing from Naomi. Naomi's saying, my my ship's going down. You don't need to go down with me. And what happens with that statement, you'll see two things. One is, and then again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Ruth was a code one clinger. Watch out. Watch out for the code one clingers, okay? Ruth clung to her. She said, go. So, so Orpah's like, if you think we should go, okay, bye, you know. Um, it's always nice when you're like, oh, no, you don't have to do that. And people are like, okay, great, I don't have to do it. You know what I'm saying? We all do that, right? Like, oh, you don't have to take care of the bill. Okay, fine, I don't want to take care of the bill. Like, we've all been there, right? So, so Naomi goes, hey, you go. And she's like, Orpah's like, okay, that's good. And, but Ruth goes, no. She clung to her tightly. Look at this. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Oh, does that sound familiar like anybody else? Maybe a little verse in the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Little Hebrews. Ruth is saying something that's very Christ-like. It's one of these most, you don't have the rest of Ruth without that that statement. Ruth, Ruth, chapters 2, 3, and 4 do not happen without these two moments. So why does Ruth get saved? Did Naomi preach a message? This is Ruth's salvation moment. When she uses the word Lord, it's not Elohim, which is generic. It's Yahweh. It's saying, I've been around you for years now, Naomi. I've seen you pray to your God. You've told me about your God. The way that you've gone through this mercy and this terrible time, you are operating in a way that I've never seen anybody operate. You're putting my my safety above your safety. Your kindness is saying, get out of here. But instead of your kindness having me get out of here, your kindness is leading me to repentance. And because Naomi has been so kind to Ruth, Ruth gets saved. We all need a Naomi like that. Everyone needs somebody to be just so kind to them, to put their goodness ahead of their goodness, to put their well-being in front of their well-being. You start doing that to people in the Bay Area, watch how many people get saved. You start saying to other people, hey, you first. 
Whatever you need, I'm going to take care of that. You put those kind of needs in front of people and you take care of them, woo! You're going to start preaching the most powerful sermons the Bay Area has ever seen. I'm liking my message right now. I think it's going good. But the reality is, is that you love people well, it will be way better than any message I ever preach on this platform. It will own them. And the reality is, is Ruth saying, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Ooh, it's one of my favorite moments in all the Bible. I love moments like this, when, when God's kids sound like his kids. Don't you like that? Now, if, you, if I could break down Ruth real quick. Uh, Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4. Ruth 1, the chapter 1 starts with what we call emptiness, nothingness. So it's a blank canvas of nothingness and despair. And it can be painted with anything and everything. And we see it getting painted with the Spirit of God. Salvation. Somebody self-sacrificing. Ruth knows this. Ruth goes, I'm coming with you. And the reason why she brings in death, and you need to hear this, and here's why. We're going to show it in Ruth 2 a little bit, too. I'm skipping ahead, but I want to. Is Ruth understands that a foreigner in Israel is not going to be well-received. Immigration is not done well in Israel at this moment. Uh, She's an immigrant of the worst kind in this nation. And she knows that if she goes home, she's got a life. But if she goes home, Naomi loses her life. So Ruth is willing to risk her life so Naomi might have a life. It's an amazing picture of Jesus. Now, I love it because it's a good moment in uh, the Bible, and I love sharing it. But there's this moment in Matthew 15, and it's one of the more perplexing interesting stories of our Savior, Jesus. It's later on in his ministry. The word has gotten out. The Savior is here. The King of Kings, Hosanna. Uh, He's been healing people. And this Canaanite woman comes pleading for her kid to be healed. And Jesus, it's one of the more fascinating things if you read it. He just ignores her. And it almost looks like he's being cold to this Canaanite woman. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Would you heal my, my kid? Nothing from Jesus. We could almost say that this would be an empty moment, a nothing moment. And the more and more we study it, and I've never seen it till this week when I was studying Ruth, Jesus was not being quiet because he was trying to be mean to the woman. You read the Bible, that's not God's character. So you've got to understand, why are you doing this, God? You're not trying, you're not, your intention is never to be mean. What are you trying to do? He's trying to create an empty moment for his disciples to step up and be like him. And guess what his disciples do? In the emptiness of Jesus not responding, they look at her, and I would love to see him say this. Oh, you've came to the right place, Can Night Woman. He's the healer. Oh, we're here for you. We want to serve you. Oh, we're so glad you're here. And anything else you need, we're here for you. I, I'm, I, I was going ha- to talk to him about something. Uh, you know, I'm one of his disciples, but I'm going to take back because I'd rather have you have some time with the Savior. Your daughter's not, oh, my gosh, please talk to our Savior. You would hope that's what would fill the emptiness. You hope they would sound like Jesus. You'd hope they'd be like, hey, can we wash your feet while you're waiting for Jesus? Can we serve you a little bit? You would hope that's what the disciples would do. But here's what the Bible says they say, hey, woman, you're an inconvenient. Get out of here. You're, 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 you're annoying us. Get to stepping. It's amazing that when emptiness was there, the disciples who had been around Jesus for a few years did not yet have the heart of Jesus to say, hey, whatever you need, we got it. The, uh, us disciples, just want to let you know, we ain't leaving. We'll be here all the time. Whatever you need, you come back tomorrow, you need water, you need prayer again. That's what we do. But the reality is, is that they sounded nothing like Jesus. And if I could be honest, the last two years has been kind of an empty nothingness despair season. And the church is going to get really beautiful when it starts talking like Ruth and less like the disciples. When the the church starts saying, come everybody. 
I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you posted. I don't care what you've done. You're not an inconvenience. When we start filling the air with God's words instead of bitterness and inconvenience, what could happen to the Bay Area? Can, can, can I tell you something real quick? This, if I just preached that text today and just, we just soaked on it for a while, I think it would be the most important thing to do because I, I don't want us to miss this. You don't have Ruth chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 without that one statement. You don't have chapter 2 and 3 4. Can I tell you something real quick, Mission Church? We'll never have chapter 2 here until we make that statement. We'll never have chapter 3 here until we make that statement. We'll never have chapter four there here until we have that statement of where we show kindness and people get saved and we make bold declarations. I'm not leaving. You can betray me. You can talk bad about me. I'm still going to love you. The only thing that's going to separate me from loving the Bay Area is death. I'm not leaving. That's when we get to chapter two of revival, chapter three of revival, chapter four of revival. Can I get an amen for that? Let's keep going. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the woman asked? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Can I just give you, this is just a, a free one for the message today. Uh, her name was Naomi, which meant sweet or pleasant. And she says, now call me bitter and empty. She renames herself Mara. Can I tell you real quick? Allow famine to move you but no, do not allow famine to rename you. Famine can move you. That's good. But if it starts to rename you, don't let the worst moments of your life to mark you. Allow them to move you to prayer. Allow them to move you to repentance. Allow them to move you to humility. Get to humility. Get to repentance. But don't let the worst moments and the worst things ever have in your life say, this is my new name. This is just who I am. This is what I do. You know, I'm a drunk. I'm a cheat. This is what I am. I just do drugs. It's who I am. Hey, just call me the drug guy because that's what I do. Don't allow those things to name your life and mark your life. Let them move your life to repentance, humility, and then what God says about you, let that name you. I think it's interesting. She says, I've come back with nothing. Ruth is standing right there. Um, Naomi, I'm right here. You said you left with everything and you came back with nothing. kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. What a picture of what we say all the time. I've got nothing. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. I'm the savior of the earth. And the one I, did, I got nothing going on for me right now. Uh, it's me. Hi, I'm Jesus. Uh, I'm the clinger, cold one clinger. <laughs> I'm never leaving you, <laughs> never forsaking you. Uh, maybe you don't have nothing. Maybe you have the one thing that in this story, if you read the Bible, is the one thing that's actually going to redeem you, prosper you, and bring all the things back that you thought you lost. You don't have nothing. You have everything. You got the thing. I can't get there yet. That's in Ruth 4. Let's keep going. <laughs> so the first part is everyone needs Naomi. You need somebody in your life that will bring you back to Judah. Some of your life that will be kind to you so you can actually become, uh, what I could say, little Jesus to everybody else. You don't have Ruth without Naomi. Ruth does not happen without Naomi. Now, the book's called Ruth, but the reality is, is you don't have you without somebody that you share their story. If we could just have a message one day where we're like, this one person is why I'm here today. C.S. Lewis doesn't become C.S. Lewis without J.R. Tolkien. All these people had somebody who invested in them and loved them where they were at. So, so chapter two, everyone needs a Ruth. Everyone needs a Ruth. Now, there was, wealthy and, uh, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband. 
Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out in the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Now, why is she doing this? Well, I got to tell you a couple things uh, context-wise. Uh, there is this rule called gleaning. You go glean the fields. Now, there, during harvest time, the people would work the fields, but in Leviticus 25, there was this rule set in place. It was Jesus' welfare system for the poor. People who did not have anything, you were supposed to leave the outer parts of the harvest for them to be able to grab the scraps. Or anything you dropped, they could come and grab, and that was legal, so they could actually have something to eat and live during harvest season. And she goes, I want to go glean. We're on the welfare system in Israel. Can I go out there, Naomi, and can I go do it? Why is she asking permission? Because she's saying, Naomi, Naomi, is it okay if I go risk my life today? Because I'm a Moabite. I'm going to go into Israel, and I could go die today. I could be raped today. I could be taken today. But can I go risk it? Because we're starving. A.K.A. Ruth saying, can I go risk my life for you and I? Can I go work for you and I? Can I go, go out into the world and just maybe, just maybe bring back something that you can bring back yourself? Everyone needs that kind of friend. And so Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out and gathered grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative, relative of her father, uh, Elimelech. Uh, now, uh, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. <laughs> I just love that. This is how they started work, ready? Uh, he'd come out and he said, the Lord be with you. And they would respond, the Lord bless you. That was how they greeted back in the day. Just the Lord, Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Can you imagine if we said that to people? Uh, I mean, it'd be kind of cheesy, but I think people need to hear it a little bit. I think the word Barak, blessed, and this is when you get studied and you see it, it means may God's will be done in your life. That's what that means in the Old Testament. When you ask somebody, a father, for a hand in marriage to a spouse, so when I asked Rachel's dad, hey, can I marry Rachel? If her dad, Michael, would have said no, it would have just messed up the whole vibe of the marriage. Can we agree with that? Yes? I would have been like, dang, he didn't bless it. He's still going to come. It's going to bother the day. I'm just going to be on like every holiday. It's going to bother me. Because the desire is, and this is something I just started noticing when I started reading and studying. There's always, you're blessed. May you be blessed. May you be blessed. The inner heart desire of all of us is for somebody to say, you're blessed and go be blessed. AKA, God's will is being done in your life and may God's will be done in your life. Can you be somebody like that to somebody else? Can you start speaking God's will over people's life? Can you, can you start uh, speaking that? Because a lot of people, can I be honest, they've been cursed. They've had the opposite spoken over their life. They've had the opposite things said over their life. It's one of those foreign old things. For the church to create new stuff, we got to go back to some old stuff. Start blessing some people, amen? Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young man over there who does uh, she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest, to rest in the shelter. So Ruth gathered barley all day, and when she beat out the grain, oh, sorry, I got to stop. I'm getting caught up, so caught up. Um, so Ruth starts gathering grain. Boaz notices her, and Boaz goes, okay, here's where favor just comes into play. When you are gleaning in the right field, when you are around the right people, watch what kind of things fall in your lap. And so she goes to the right field with the right redeemer named Boaz, and she starts to get things. This is what Boaz tells me. He goes, hey, 
Harvesters, I want you to get butterfingers. I want you to grab them, but I want them to fall through your hands a little bit. Uh, when, you're, when you're grabbing the, the, the grain, I want you to just toss handfuls out. And so they're literally just dropping buckets, basically, of grain. And then Ruth is walking along like, oh, my gosh, look at this bucket of, I, it's my lucky day, you know. And she picks up the grain. Because usually it'd be like, okay, I got one. This is literally how it'd be like, I got one piece of grain to put it in there. She's got, like, she's got to get a, a, a shovel. And she's filling a full basket worth of grain. And she has no idea why it's happening. You come to the right church. You get around the right people. You're not going to be like, oh, I just, I, I'm trying to find a relationship. It's more like, I got like 10 coffees this week. What am I going to do with myself? Man, so many small groups, 50 plus small groups. I don't know what church I'm talking about, but I'm just saying, if there's a church with 50 small groups, that's not like, do I have one to pick from? You have a whole thing to scoop. You get in the right field with the right kind of leader, they're going to leave a lot of favor behind for you. Now, she gathers all of it, fills the basket, and she comes home, and here's what happens. Let's go to verse 17. So Ruth gathered barley all there, all day there, barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain the evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back to the town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her a roasted grain that was left over for, for a meal. And I love Naomi's thing. Where did you get all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. I love it when people know you didn't do this on your own. Where you're at today with your success in your life, you didn't do it on your own. Just so I hope you know that. The, the ones who are older, who have been around Jesus a little bit longer, they know it. You should obviously get to know it a little bit now too. So Ruth's like, I'm just really good at what I do. No, no, no. No, no, no. Who helped you? This is crazy. This is a mic drop moment of all grain baskets, okay? How did you do it? And she goes on to say, uh, may the Lord bless him. Uh, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Stop. Can I just tell you something real quick? Start following a little bit of favor. Start following favor. And I, I'm not trying to say word of life, you know, prosperity. What I am saying is we give the world way too many shots to please us. And the more and more you chase something in the world and there isn't favor there, you're like, well, maybe over there. It's because you're in the wrong field. And Ruth and Boaz uh, and Naomi, there's this moment where Naomi knows it, but Ruth doesn't. And Naomi goes, stay in that place. Stay in this place. What she's saying is get planted in the right place. And if I could encourage you real quick, and so many of us are planted in so many other places that aren't actually bringing returns, I'm going to just challenge you. Plan church for a season and see what happens in your life. I'm going to be your Naomi real quick. Plan the house. Don't leave this house. Keep gathering in this house and just see what happens in your life. So everyone needs a Ruth. So Ruth, Ruth takes care of business there. So now um, uh, it's a big deal. She goes, she's one of our family redeemers. Why is that a big deal? Uh, now, if you know anything, kinsmen redeemers is in the... Um, History of Israel, they were 12 tribes. They were all given land. And then inside those uh, tribes, they were given pieces of land. And then as it went on, there was laws instituted that <clears throat> the Lord knew that some people would hit hardship, not steward well. They would lose the land uh, completely. And so there had to be ways for them to get the land back because it was their family's land. So one way was a close family member who's related to you had the um, legal right to come up and say, I'm buying this back. You can't say no, I'm buying it back. Boaz is one of those people that could buy back Naomi's land that her husband sold, terrible decision. So he could, he could redeem it. The other way that she could get her land back is every 50 years, you got your land back. About 10 years ago, she got too long to wait. So she goes, that's our kinsman redeemer. We might not be homeless. We might not be hopeless forever. Maybe, just maybe, he could buy our land back for us. The wizard, the one in one saying, I'm done. God has raised his fists against me. 
within one chapter of just somebody believing in her and somebody working for her is now dreaming and hoping, just maybe, just maybe my life can turn around. It's amazing when you have people around you that the hope you start to get in your, in your life again. And so she has hope again for her life. And so uh, Ruth said, uh, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the higher harvest is uh, completed. Good, Naomi explained. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So boom, everyone needs a Ruth. Let's go into chapter three. We're almost done. Chapter three, everyone needs a Boaz, a Boaz. You ever been to those, uh, you know, ones they always talk about, you know, don't marry your lazy ass or, you know, <laughs> marry your Boaz. I'm not going to use that, okay? It's just so inappropriate. It's so, you know, stay away from the dumb ass, marry Boaz. There's just so many of them. Um, there's like seven or eight of them. I looked it up and I was like, that's inappropriate. I can't do it. I'm not going to talk about stay away from his broke ass and marry Boaz. I won't do it. I won't do it. But um, it's all over the place. Some of my heroes have preached it, but I'm not going to. Because I'm being honest, that's not really the heart of the scripture. So we're looking for Boaz. Okay, okay let's keep going. Because you got to take care of your ass. That's what it says. Oh! The chip said, don't say it. And I said it anyways. And I know some of you are angry right now. Okay, somebody's not though. Come on. If you're angry, forgive me. I'm usually really professional. Um, anyways. You need to re relax with your up uptight. Yeah, I'm going to say, okay. Okay, here we go. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about Boaz. Boaz, Boaz, Boaz. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting your, you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking uh, his good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, covered her feet, and laid down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Stop. It's an amazing moment. What's happening here, and you got to understand something. 1,000 B.C., this is so foreign of what could happen. Ruth is proposing to Boaz. This is a marriage proposal. And this is not the way that it's done back then. This is not the way that you would recommend it to be done. But uh, Ruth and Naomi know this. we got to go all in somewhere with our hope. And the one that's proven himself to be a great redeemer, to be kind, and the way he's operating life, I'm willing to take all our chips and go to Boaz and say, I'm all in. Would you redeem me? And the reality is, is everybody in their life, you're going to have to pick, out, pick who your Boaz is. It could be your job. It could be a person. But you take all your chips, all your hope, everything, all your heart's desires, and you're going to give it to something and say, would you redeem it and make it more than I could ever make it? And the reality is, is they make the right decision because they go to the one that can purchase back what they lost. Because all of it, we've all lost something. 
And the only one that can redeem it is the one that has more than you and is more powerful than you. And the reality is, is Boaz is a nice story. Boaz is an amazing person. It goes on in Ruth 4 that he says, okay, I'm going to marry you, but I, ha I have to go the right process. There's somebody else that can marry you instead of me. I'm going to go offer it to him. And if he says no, then I'll buy back the land. Not only will I take care of your debt, I'll marry you and you'll marry me. And then whatever I have, it's amazing, Boaz, my wealth becomes your wealth, Ruth. You went from the poor one of the thing, now you'll be one of the richest people in Israel. And so that's what he does. It's a great story. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Or the keys, if I forget. Um, and if that's how the story ends, everyone needs a Naomi. Everybody needs a Ruth. Everyone needs a Boaz. Have a great week. Make sure you're nice to people. Make sure you risk for people. And make sure that, you know, we try to help people and go all in on the right things. It's a, it's a good story. The Bible, it's powerful. But let me read you Ruth 4 and really show you what it's trying to show us. It's not trying to show us Ruth. It's not trying to show us Boaz. It's not trying to show us Naomi. It's trying to show us Jesus. So I, my first point was everyone needs Naomi. Everyone needs Ruth. Everyone needs Boaz. My last point is this. Everyone needs Jesus. Let me show it to you. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When she slept with uh, her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your, your youth and care for you in old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Ruth's been better than seven sons. That statement simply this. Sons were the highest commodity back then. Seven means Ruth is better than the perfect family. Somebody like Ruth in your life is better than the perfect career. Somebody like Ruth in your life is better than the perfect financial number. She's better than seven sons. How can Ruth be better than seven sons? She's not perfect. How can this son become famous? Let me keep reading to you. Naomi took the baby and cuddled uh, him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Opid. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. <laughs> you need to know something, that this son became Jesus' great, great, great grandpa. And it says, may he become famous. There's, there's, this, there's this interesting little secret of the, the seed of the Messiah in there. There's redeemers all over the place. You have Naomi, who's the kind redeemer, if we could call her that, her kindness redeemed. So Jesus is a better Naomi because his kindness leads us to repentance. And then you have Ruth, who is, we could say, the surprising redeemer, the one that, I have nothing, I'm right here. The, the one that surprises you, that just the one that you never thought would stay committed to you, the one that you never thought would stay just clinging to you, stays there. So you got Naomi, who's a surprising redeemer. Then you have Boaz, who's this formal redeemer. But then you have the redeemer show up. And it's the picture of all of them, if I could be honest. But let me just show you real quick. This is why it's just so good. Jesus is the better Ruth. Ruth left her homeland to become a foreigner, not for a better life. She actually risked everything. Ruth uh, knew Naomi would lose her life if she didn't risk her life. Ruth said nothing would separate him from death. And now what does Jesus say? Jesus left his throne to become a foreigner, to lose his life so we could have our life. Come on, there's so many good pictures here. Jesus lost his life, so he didn't just risk it, he lost it. And last but not least, Jesus said he would never leave us nor death would even separate us. He won up Ruth. Hey, Ruth, I like your statement. Guess what? I'm going to one up it. Death won't even separate. But then let's get to the Redeemer part. Boaz had the right to buy back the scroll that would be the bill of sale so he could take it back. And he says, I'll, I'll redeem it. It's a, it's a high price, but I'll spend my wealth to redeem that land. Give me the scroll. Now it's mine. I have the deed of this land. Now we can rebuild where Naomi uh, lived and Ruth and, of course, Obed. And you're like, this 
Does that picture show up anywhere in the Bible? Does Jesus do something like that? Revelation 5. I want you to see the deed of the universe being transferred so you and I can be saved. I want to show it to you. Jesus is the way better Boaz. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven on earth and under the sea was able to open the scroll and read it. You need to know something that Boaz had to be qualified to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He had to be related. That was one thing. He had to be willing to do it. And the last one, he had to be able to do it. And so Jesus is the better Boaz. And John's looking around. There's nobody qualified to buy back the deed to the universe. Adam surrendered it, just like Naomi and Elimelech surrendered their land and left to another land. Adam gave it to Satan and said, I'll give my land up because I just want an apple. So that's been given away, and there's nobody to redeem it. John is weeping. He's sad. He's looking around. What's going to happen? Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah. The heir of David's throne, he, was, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and it's seven seals. Stop. I don't know about you, but if you read the story of Ruth and you start to see Jesus in it, you can't leave that book without going, everything I have is yours. Because everything you had, you gave to me. How could I live any other way? How could I take advantage of you being in heaven? You and I were dipped. Jesus took our name back, but there's a book of life. And he bought the deed to the universe and said, no longer Satan, do you have dominion? Now it's you and I. We actually can redeem this land because this land's already been bought back. The only thing holding us back from buying back this land and redeeming it is us being lazy. Let's go redeem this land together. It's already been purchased. Oh, with a price that none of us could have paid. Oh, he's a good God. Can I get a man for that? Will you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. We've never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing, but you've never said yes to Jesus. Oh, the Bible is very clear that if you respond, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. I believe that from the beginning of worship today, I could just, oh, just the beautiful Holy Spirit was doing things in people's hearts and minds. I believe people came today and people are getting saved today and people are getting woken up today. So I want to ask two questions with the same one. If you want to say yes to salvation, I want you to raise your hand. But the other thing I want you to raise is if you've been a sleepy Christian and you've just been living life just on cruise control, and just something's waking you up today. If that's you and you want me to pray for you, will you guys raise your hand on the count of three? Every head bowed and eye closed. On the count of three, one, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I see you and I see you, I see you and I see you. Come on, hands everywhere. Come on now. We can clap for that, church. We can clap for that. Come on. Come on. People got saved today. Will you stand up? We're going to pray. Finish service. Praying this way every time. It's a sinner's prayer. It's a salvation prayer. Before I say that, please don't leave the church because I said, Boaz jokes. Just forgive me. Be like Jesus. Will you repeat after me? Jesus, come into my life today. I declare I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So today I declare you are my Lord. I say goodbye to my past and say hello to my promises. I say goodbye to cursing. And I say hello to blessing. Father, I love you. My life is yours. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.